Modern MBA podcast with Marie Kerwin and Kristen Rossi. Our mission is to help MBAs coming from, going into, or merely considering more unorthodox career paths. We're a community to find inspiration and share stories. Today on the podcast, we're speaking with Sahil Chopra, who after a career in accounting, did an MBA at Warwick Business School, and today at the age of 31, has started his own venture capital firm, Simsan Ventures. Would you kindly share your name, where you're from, and where you did your MBA? Sure. My name is Sahil Chopra. I'm from London, the UK, and I did my MBA at Warwick Business School and NUS Singapore, class of 2019. Fabulous. So you have an interesting career. You started off in in tax, and then you did the MBA. And post-MBA, you've worked in the VC space. More recently, you founded your own venture capital firm, Simsan Ventures. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your, your career to date? Sure. So um, I graduated from Nottingham with economics. Um, during, that was for my undergrad. And since then, I've worked for um, Grant Thornton and Echovis in London as a tax advisor. After that, I also worked for what was then a startup called Bohurst, uh, which is now a very big company that is rivaling PitchBook. So I joined at a very early stage startup um, in their product control and research team. And that was probably the beginning when I realized how to exactly scale a company from uh, literally pre-revenue to growth stage. So alongside my corporate career, I've also grown my family business with my brother from literally nothing to a multi-million pound company that it is today. So I've had a mixture of a corporate and entrepreneurial background. Um, Post-MBA, I joined a VC fund called TCF, and they invest in psychedelics, uh, which was quite out there and a one-of-a-kind fund, which taught me the ins and outs of scaling a portfolio company as well as doing VC deals. But what I realized was that psychedelic medicine for me was not a passion of mine. Um, I always knew that the future is technology. So after spending nearly two years there, I realized my love for the industry and the fact that I could run my own fund with the network I was building. And I had a clear investment thesis that I, as an investor, was passionate about. So I decided to test it and tour the circuit myself and see if there was any appetite for it. And uh, gradually, as I was doing that and got authorized myself under the FCA, um, I believe now that we have actually found something which I, as an investor, am passionate about and secondly, which other investors can um, invest into my fund also. How did you get approved from the FCA? Was it difficult? What were the steps? So usually it takes about 30 days, but with COVID, um, it took me, I filed in August and I got authorization in December. So it took a while. I mean, you have to get the fund registered yourself and um, the other investment partners. So I run the fund with my brother. So me, him, and Simsound Ventures are all eth- uh, authorized under FCA. What they do is um, you apply through an intermediary. So you can either come under somebody else's license and pay them a retainer, or you can apply for your own license. Um, I think for a first-time fund, everybody opts for using someone else's license because it gives investors more confidence because the people that you use a license for, they get a say in your deployment of capital and they also make sure that everything you do is fca on board and above so that was the way that uh, the route that we chose i mean when it came to the process and applying through the intermediary they did a background check from corporate references degrees 
snapshot of your financial statements, everything. It's just make it's just to make sure that you're ethically above board to represent clients and deploy capital into other companies. That's great. And um and when you when you say intermediate intermediary, how did you find them? Was it just a list that you can pick from or how does that work? So when I first started um my VC fund, nobody really guides you on the process. I had to learn it all myself. I mean, I joined a VC fund, but that was already up and running. So from zero to nothing, you have to do it all yourself. Um, so the first thing that I did do was hire a venture capital lawyer. Um, I mean, I got that through my network at TCF and they just help you draft a diff, um, the basic terms that you're thinking about your fund. And then they introduce you to people in the industry. So they know what exactly you're going to invest in, what kind of uh, demographic VC you are, what kind of ticket sizes you're going to write, what kind of sectors you want to invest in. So then they recommend you to the right provider, So which they did because they've been around, the lawyers have been around the City of London for the last 20 of years. So they know each and every single FCA provider. So they gave me two, three names and I picked one that believed in my thesis and I just went through the process and it was quite cumbersome and it was um, a lot of information that I had to provide, but um, it, it was nothing difficult in the sense of getting authorized. That, that's really cool. And um, and so it's, it's you and your brother and then other investors too? So basically right now, the two general partners, they're the people that run the fund. Um, you usually split the profits amongst the owners of the fund. So me and my brother and the investors so the investors get 80 percent, and we get 20 percent. that's the terms of when we sell our investments if they go public or they get acquired and we get our profits from that so right now the only gps which are is me and my brother but we can take as many as we want to but obviously this is our first time fund um we need to build a bit more track record and get to know others before we bring them into simson and then when it comes to investors yeah we have commitments already but they only get a share in the profits once we sell it. They don't actually have any say in the day-to-day operations on how we do it and yeah. and how we run the fund. And we get to invest yeah. in anything we want um, as because that's exactly what they sign up for. Cool, cool. What's the day-to-day of running your own venture capital firm like? What do you do on a day-to-day basis? See, every, everybody has different ways of running their own fund and portfolio. I mean, yeah. as I've been going along, I had to hire an operations director and some advisors as well. So originally, I actually hired advisors uh, who were specializing in fintech and deep tech, um, which are the two sectors that I'm investing in. And they they give investors confidence that, you know, you've hired advisors who have had exits before, who have worked on big, big deals that can advise your fund. Those guys actually joined us and wanted to advise on how we run SimSan as well as, as the operations, because one thing that I knew was lacking in my skill set that before I started SimSan was how to run this company to the day to day. So right now, um, as the GPs, my main focus is obviously being the face of the company alongside my brother and fundraising. And then we've hired two associates and they hire the um, sorry, they manage the inflow of deals that we get. And they go out there, join accelerators, make um, introductions to any other deal brokers and proactively search for founders that fit our investment thesis. So right now we've broken it down into that model where they, with any, uh, we have our internal tech platforms, et cetera, and task management software. 
but that's how we've divided it as of now. And then obviously we want to add a layer of interns who can um, obviously do any, any administrative tasks and handle any uh, work that the associates need. Going forward, the operations are definitely going to improve and become more streamlined as we raise more capital. And then obviously alongside this, you have to work very closely with the lawyers, the FCA guys who I mentioned, and our fund administrator who monitor every single pound that goes in and out of the fund. So we're juggling the right model for us right now. But as I said, for me right now, it's mainly getting in front of investors and getting money into the fund. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, and then I guess I, I'm juggling around, but what made you actually want to move into the VC world in the first place? And tagging on to that, what is it like running your own firm versus working for one? See, life has shown me today that you can either be a builder or a backer. So I knew at this point in time, I'm not a tech startup builder. However, I'm a backer, which led me to investing. Also, during my time at NUS and TCF working, I was in awe of what people are inventing and commercializing. There's so much phenomenal talent and genius out there. And in VC, for me, it's not about the returns I'll get from investing in a brilliant startup. I get my kick out of backing someone who builds the next household name and providing a service or a good. So breaking into venture capital is really difficult. I can't explain the demand for the roles, even for an internship. For me, I had to get an MBA internship and prove to my potential employer at the time that I was in it for the long haul. It's really exciting, but really tough at the same time. There's a lot of no's in this industry and requires a lot of backbone since even today you have to compete as an investor right now to persuade founders to let you get in on their shareholdings. So, I mean, I got my roles through asking to meet VC managers for coffee or go to events. I mean, nine out of 10 managers will meet you, but they'll reject applications since the norm is usually investment banking or consulting to get into venture capital, which is something I'm trying to change through Simpson. That's, we're going to get to that, but that that actually that, that point exactly. Um, so when so for someone who wants to break into it, you know, you're saying you're networking a lot, you're reaching out, having coffees. Is it more of that than actually putting your CV down in front of someone, or is it a mix of both? I think right now you have to add something more to sending your CV. Um, like you can't just email a VC fund and say, "Oh, you're hiring night right now." Even some of them purposely. Um, say they're hiring on LinkedIn or on their websites, but they are waiting for someone to go that extra mile. So if I was in, um, back in the MBA and hoping to land a role as a VC investor post-MBA, I would have personally... Um, so right now I've invested in four angel investments, which I'm putting into the fund, and they've already tripled in value. So to date, you can already invest in a company as little as a £1,000. And I don't mean crowdfunding. So I think anybody who's particularly the MBA stage, can at least invest in one or two companies and build their angel portfolio as they go along before they apply to VC roles. And this will show your passion for tech companies and how you select them as an individual, which will show VCs exactly how you think. And also, which I didn't realize at the time, but I know now because I'm in the network and the industry, I would apply to venture capital scout programs at funds. So if I started my degree, whether I'm an undergrad or postgrad or MBA, I would apply for these scout programs from the beginning um, because when you're a student, you're inside the ecosystem and VCs sometimes want to get inside um, and make partnerships with universities and find students who are building startups. 
So you've got that title as a venture capital scout whilst you're studying and um, funds take hundreds, two hundreds of them. So a combination of the start of investing and the VC scout is a great way to break into it. So you, you know, you're an MBA and you want to prove that you, you're interested and really passionate. You, you start investing in as an angel. Um, but then what if someone wants to invest in your fund? How does that work? So what the regulation says right now, um, I'm sure everyone's seen Wolf of Wall Street, which was um, <laughs> showing that you can't just ring up anybody and tell them to invest into your fund. So there are rules in the UK and abroad when it comes to marketing financial promotions. You can't just walk up to somebody in, um, so it's called retail investors. You can't just walk up into somebody in Tesco and say, hey, um, please invest in my fund. Um, this is what we're doing. Do you have maybe £100,000, £200,000 to invest in? Um, every fund has a minimum ticket size when it comes to investing into a fund. And you can only take on people who are professional investors or, or who are venture capitalists or eligible counterparties. So that means eliminating any retail people. So I can't just ring up friends and family. I can uh, ring friends and family to invest in my fund, but I, yeah. can't, I can't cold call or approach people I don't know who are classified as retail, if that makes sense. Um, right. Because it's illegal. It, it really is illegal to do that, and you can get in a lot of trouble. They can actually ask for the money back um, if the investments do go wrong. So a lot of VCs nowadays make sure that they only market to people who have invested before. Mm. So in fact, if you have done an angel investment, even if it's a thousand pounds, you do actually qualify. Um, mm. You have to have some sort of experience in investing before you can do that, whether you're an institution or a person. And how do you even get that first foot in the door of, of it being an angel investor? Where do you go to look for opportunities? So in the U every country right now has a main angel network. So the UK mm -hmm. is the UK Angel Network and Business Associate Association. And there's also Warwick Business Angels. There'll be a Manchester one. There'll be a Birmingham one. There'll okay. be one in London. And there'll be other tech platforms which are highlighting angel deals. And one thing as an investor, which um, other investors will look at at you is how do you pick the right deal? So you have mm -hmm. to think like that when you yeah. even do your angel investments. That's why I complete, I'm not an advocate for crowdfunding at all. I think if mm. you want to get into the world of investing, you have to look at a pitch deck or mm. people's profiles and show other investors and people in the community that, okay, me as Sahul Chopra, I like to invest in diverse teams, in deep tech, in South Korea, for example. And I'm going to show that to other investors and be like, okay, this guy's doing something different to the actual norm. So you have to, essentially market yourself to the world when you start investing through your investments hmm, that's really interesting and so and like what so then what when you're looking to invest what are you looking for in a company are there certain um certain uh metrics you're looking for or certain characteristics in the in the in the entrepreneurs or what are you looking for so yeah every single venture capital fund has its um due diligence procedures and investment fit so for us we have our Simpson sweet spot. So what we look at right now is fintech and deep tech. And when it comes to people, we look at, as I mentioned before, underrepresented founders and diverse teams because we believe that they are overlooked and they don't get access to fair capital. Um, on the flip side, what I look at as a, uh, somebody who's running my own fund, I look at any company that is either A, prepared to go and take on um, the big giants in the industry that they want to operate in and have a clear strategy to take some market share 
or I look at somebody else who is convincing their future consumer, whether it's a customer or whether it's a business, that they actually need this product. So they've stimulated the need that, no, we need this in our processes or we need it in um, in our life and we didn't know that existed. And then obviously we have different KPIs and unit economics in our due diligence that I can dive into, but it's very complicated because obviously when we ha- ex- um, submit our investment uh, portfolio to the FCA, they dive into the finances, exactly how we pick these companies. Are these companies um, copyrighted? Do they have enough patents? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously whether the company is doing what it's saying it's doing. Uh, but that that's basically it in a nutshell. That's really cool. And and then say someone if someone's totally uh, inexperienced and they want to get started, what would be the first thing you'd say they you, they should do as far as maybe just picking up a book or a course? Is, there, is that something you would recommend or you just recommend, you know, starting getting involved with the angel network? See, right now, I think there's a lot of venture capital um, courses out there hmm. and other degree programs or cohort accelerators, which are trying to um, promote younger first time venture capitalists. Um, if I was doing it all over again, I wouldn't apply to those. Hmm. Um, I would apply to the ones which are university led. So I did one at Oxford, for example, when I first joined TCF my uh, my employers paid for it so that was only a one month course and the university led ones um, they're very very good because they teach you the ins and outs of valuation so I would start there particularly that one I can't be a even though I went to Warwick um, Warwick doesn't offer that but Oxford's one was brilliant and that was done by said Bezos school and it was called venture deals and finance Um, Mm. that taught me the technical aspect behind it and it was a graded course as well um, so that um, I did actually get a grading certificate after that. And it was probably a month or two months. And it was online because I did it in March 2020. Yeah. So we did, even after that, we all, uh, when in between lockdowns, we did manage to network, etc. So I would start that. And then on Amazon, you can pick this really good book called Venture Deals. Um, I think it's it's called Be Smarter Than Your Lawyer and VC. That's also oh, something. Yeah, to... yeah I've heard of that one. I've heard of that one. It's, it's the top hit in Amazon when you type in uh, venture capital. Everyone's read that book in the industry. So I would start there. But then, again, it's down to um, believing in whether you want to go down the theoretical route or learn yourself by being in the industry or combination. I chose a combination, so and that worked out pretty well. But to date, I don't really, even when I worked with TCF, I was not involved that much in the technical aspects of it. Because nowadays in venture capital, you have software which can do all the modeling for you and the valuations, et cetera. Um, There's the, a lot of um, venture capital work has been offloaded to outsources. So right now, it's just about being the face of your own company if you choose to go down this route. So you, you've chosen you know, tech, deep tech. Why this area and not, I don't know, um, and there's so many other areas and why this area in particular so we're actually um a technology fund but you can you have to do a investments thesis which does either say that you're tech agnostic or that you choose some sectors so actually we chose fintech because of the obvious is provided the most unicorns and successful exits and the pandemic has obviously showed that there is a need to digitalize um the way we earn save and spend and we don't believe that the wave is over 
and investors do know about fintech and yeah. you know the success of Revolut and Monzo and there's many many companies on the horizon that are not just focusing on banking but um, other ways of managing capital and the way we save and spend and then I chose deep tech mainly because I saw how it was thriving in Singapore and I know in the UK right now that there's not many VC funds particularly early stage that are looking at deep tech mainly because investors don't know that much about it it's because deep tech basically is commercializing science so ai robotics um biotech uh, vr ar and the, the list is endless really and then when i saw what was being built in singapore i'm trying to uh, do the model here and what, what i've noticed is while being in the circuit for the last year there are a lot of companies specifically spin outside of university that have potential to commercialize and protect their science, but they're just not getting the VC backing that they need. They're winning grant funding, but they're not winning VC funding. So I found a sweet spot there and offering investors something a bit different because most investors actually don't know that deep technologies have become cheaper and the route to exit is much quicker. So you have to offer something different. You can't if I was speaking to anyone who's thinking about starting their own VC fund, they have to think about a sector which is going to appeal to investors. I mean, everybody wants to do e-commerce and fintech. Those are the most two popular ones. But um, there are emerging industries out there which you have to pick one which is different to the norm. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And, and when you talk about exiting, like what I mean, we've done, I think in, in, in work, we, we took a, a venture capital course, um, or like entrepreneurial VC, but... What does a typical exit look like in your in your niche area? Sure. So when you buy into a company, you usually buy at a price per share and then you're allotted um, a certain amount of shares at a specific price and valuation. Yeah. And obviously you're betting that in the subsequent rounds, the company is going to do very well and then the valuation will increase. And then you can either exit in the next round. So suppose if I invest in a company which is pre-seed and then they've managed to get to series A or B, uh, which is three, four rounds down the line. And they've jumped from a 500,000 valuation to a 5 million valuation. My shares have already, they would have been diluted by that point, but they would definitely have increased in value. So you can exit then, and that's called a secondary, uh, where another VC or another bank or private equity firm will buy your shares. Um, That's not really the norm. People usually hold out till the company goes public, if it does, or if it um, gets acquired, which will obviously be at a massive premium. Um, for example, Facebook bought WhatsApp. So Facebook would have paid every single person on WhatsApp's cap table um, who invested it at a premium. So in our fund right now, we're hoping to a combination of a three, which is secondary, um, getting acquired or going public. Um, it's very, very rare that a company will go public. Um, as you can see by the announcements on LinkedIn or any VC newsletter that you pick up. But if you invest in 20 to 30 or maybe in 50 companies, you're betting on one to at least exit, which will, and um, and the rest to all fail. So in a VC fund, roughly 97% of companies do fail, 3% do very well, and 1% is a big winner. And it's the ones that float and go public. They're the big winners that will make up for all the losses against the portfolio. So yeah. that's how exits work. And how many, I mean, just, and I mean, nosy, you don't have to answer, but how many businesses do you have in your fund? So I have five as of today. 
And um, so that's 130,000 invested across five companies and they've already tripled in value. So I can either choose to say exit right now at its value and find a secondary who's willing to buy my shares, or I can hold out a bit longer and bet that these companies are either going to get acquired or go public. So I've chosen to hold it for now uh, because I don't think my investments will go um, deteriorate in any sense. And then this year, I'm planning to invest in another 20 companies. And then in four years, in, over the next four years, another 60. That's amazing. That's really cool. Really, really cool. And so then um, one more question before we do the MBA ones. And that's, you mentioned on in, in, the, in, in our conversation, but also on LinkedIn, you're kind of trying to break the norm of, of how people break into VC as a, as a career, um, what, what is your vision and, and how can people get in touch with you and, and, um, and what do you want to do? So my vision is to build three funds in the next 10 years. I will only employ non-bankers, non-consultants and give those who have a non-traditional background in this space a chance to become VCs because I believe that investing is everyone's right. If you look in the London right now, it is the investment bankers, the big four, and consultants that get all the funding and the venture capital roles. And personally, there is no transition. It's just anybody could do it. In the US right now, there are people who are 18, 19, 20, um, people without college degrees, people within college who are starting their own funds. But in the UK, no one will give that chance. I'm 31 right now. And, you know, I'm I'm told that I'm too young to be a venture capitalist. That's what how it is in the UK. And that's really yeah. surprising considering that, you know, it's a multicultural place. I love this country. I've been born and brought up here. I've never been held back in any opportunities. And um, But just in this sector alone, there is prejudice when you want to do this sort of um, career path. And right now, there is no face to young emerging venture capital in the UK. And I want Simsan to be that. So I've made it my goal to level access to capital, change UK VC and promote young VCs amongst all possible demographics. I mean, my ultimate dream is when I invest in funds, I want to one day back a fund manager who's in college or someone who's like in their 18 to early 20s and show that it can be done. I know it sounds silly, but the day I do that, uh, because it happens in the US all the time, it's just something that I want to prove that can be done. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely can be done. That's awesome. I can't wait to see it. So then, so someone, some, someone interested in becoming a VC, but you know, what, what do you want to see from them when they reach out to you? Uh, oh, that's a tough one. In what, mm. in what do you think across all students or just anybody? Anybody. You know, they don't have to be a student. They can be you know, someone who's actually wanting to switch their career, but they're really interested in, in getting involved. What, you know, what do you want to see from them? So, yeah, I can base it on the times that I've actually actively respond. I mean, I try to respond to everybody, but the people that I definitely, definitely meet is somebody who has, and people have done this, by the way. Um, I've had people who are either an undergrad or they're postgrad or MBAs, or if they're just working in any career path, I've met five to 10 people already. They've messaged me and they've clearly said, okay, this is what you guys are doing. I've, I've seen your press release here. I really resonate with the investment that you've done here. Um, I really like this newsletter that I've seen. I've looked at your website and see that you invest in underrepresented founders and diverse teams. So when I've seen that someone has researched what I am doing and looked me up, um, it it shows to me that they are passionate about not only working for me, but in venture capital as well. 
And then I would, I've also spoken to people that are doing exactly what you're doing as well. So people who have their own careers or, or mm. who are studying at the same time, you know, building mm. an interview or a newsletter initiative. Um, so you guys are doing that now for people who've done MBAs. I know other people that who are doing the same that you are doing, who are reaching out to founders, investors, student community funds, and they're building another platform and they're marketing exactly what they want to do. And they've built some LinkedIn presence as well. It's not just about the followers. I can see that they've um, they've actually involved in the space. So when I've seen that, I've taken the call straight away. And then I've said, you know, keep in touch, whether it's this cycle, or the next cycle. And when I get my funding for SimSan, we can definitely get in touch. I mean, uh, if it was, again, a combination of VC scouts and angel investing and that, I would. However, I've also seen people that have, also um, reached out to people who know alumni that I know and then I've always taken the call as well I've never ever it's very difficult to respond to somebody who says oh I want to work in venture capital can I get five minutes of your time um, because you do want to help people but they also have to know exactly what they're getting into yeah 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 absolutely yeah it, it's hard finding that balance yeah. okay awesome that's cool all right so then the last two questions are about the MBA and we this is totally opposite to what we usually do we usually ask all the mba questions and then go into the career stuff but um it was so interesting i I didn't want to move away um from that so so the last two questions are uh what was your motivation for doing an mba and and how did you go about choosing your program Uh, i mean on the personal level my mother got married when she was 20 and she was a topper in a university and her dream was to do an mba but couldn't do to the fact of getting married and then having me at 22 so personally, I wanted to do it for her. And then when it came to my career choices um, and needs, I knew that the MBA would offer me a worldwide network with endless career transition possibilities. More, moreover, as an individual, I knew there were some attributes lacking in me that needed to be filled in order to one day run my own company and offer something to the world. Um, the effort, MBA definitely did change me for sure. And I chose Warwick because I knew it was a worldwide leader in education. I mean, the model, the modules were applicable to what I needed to progress in life. And also when I met the faculty, I knew they would be involved um, lifelong in my journey to what I needed to become. And I've grown up in London, so I knew that I was never going to do it in London. Um, I mean, I've worked there. So I actually got into uh, LBS as well. I was like, I worked literally next door to there before then. <laughs> I knew that I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And anyone who knows me, <laughs> knows that I'm the uh, kind of person that likes to enjoy life outside of classes. <laughs> I think you know that as well. And uh, Warwick obviously is an undergrad, postgrad, MBA execs. The campus life was insane. So I knew that after classes, I needed something a bit more extra <laughs> to what a business school can provide. And I'm telling you, yeah. other business schools do lack that. They do. Uh, Warwick mm. was an all-in-one. And um, I'm sure you agree as well. It was definitely the best year of my life. And I had as much fun as possible as you saw, Kristen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're like okay it's one year we're gonna give a you know burn definitely burnt the candles at both ends yeah definitely it was incredible yeah, yeah and so then finally is what what skills have you that you, did you take from the mba that have helped you get to where you are today hmm. so i mean in my journey i've seen that in venture capital you have to be able to market yourself and your fund and you have to have leadership capabilities for your portfolio companies and investees and the company that you're running. You have to be really strategic in how you get the best founders and investors into the fund. 
And then obviously, as we talked about before, you need to manage operations from introductions to investors, to founders, to closing deals right along the process. And what are the core modules of an MBA? It's marketing, operations, leadership and strategy. So for, alongside the theoretical element, it definitely applied to what I'm doing today. And I knew that back then. And also the electives um, during my time at M, uh, Warwick and NUS, they offered entrepreneurship skills, which I took advantage of so I could cement my understanding of um, the modern day um, business running for startups and tech. So and then finally, I was selected for an exchange in NUS Singapore. And one of the my modules there was venture capital, which really opened my eyes up to the awesome industry and what founders are building globally. So the combination of what can be taught in an MBA plus the networking, I mean, I wouldn't be able to do SimSan if I hadn't done my MBA. I think I was, which will surprise you as well, I was definitely much more of an introvert before doing this. <laughs> and I would not have been able to stand in front of a room of 60 investors, which I which I do all the time, yeah. and be able to market myself, pitch, and show my vision of exactly what I want to do. It's really, really daunting, but those skills are so important. And I think we did that a lot in the MBA. And another thing, which will be the biggest value add in my um, journey as a fund manager and venture capitalist, and from the value add that I could get from the MBA was through my network. So as I mentioned, I'm investing in South Korea and no other fund is doing the UK-South Korea VC connection. And investors ask me um, all the time, how did you get into South Korea? Because there's no Western VC presence there, obviously because of the challenges that's on the other side of the world. And um, the tech scene startup is only, uh, startup scene is only booming just now. How did, I, how did I get into South Korea? My roommate in Warwick, he runs his own tech accelerator in South Korea and he's, <laughs> he's doing a deal for me. So this Amazing. is, I'm the living proof that the MBA can honestly uh, get you to somewhere you wouldn't imagine uh, going to. I never thought in a million years I'd be being uh, flown out, all expenses paid to Seoul in South Korea, travel it, pitch to investors, meet startups, spend a week there and see that, you know, this is going to be where I do business in the future. I never thought in a million years. And this only happened because I chose to do my MBA at Warwick. So I'll always be thankful for that. That's amazing. For your, like, Warwick's poster boy. That's all for today's Modern MBA podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Marie. If you like this episode, remember to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And you can get access to articles and more great content by visiting our website, themodernmba.co.uk, or you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram. Until next time, bye! bye.